Uh, but I also really like the Bluecoats take, which was just like, we're going to play the Beatles, which is very, very big dick energy, <laughs> if, you're, if we're being honest. <laughs> Welcome to Chapel Belton, a stats-focused podcast about UGA football. I'm Nathan. And I'm Justin. And we've emerged thin from the from the spring hibernation, ready to be fatted up again with UGA football. Alive and well, despite reports to the contrary. How are you how you doing, bud? I'm okay. I'm I'm a little tired, you know? It seems like we have a, a speed, you and I, and it's um not slow we just do other things like the the vacuum that uh is created when chapel bell curve ends for the year is filled up with literally everything else we want to do for some reason 100 percent true 100 percent true so here we are just always tired <laughs> uh work has been busy what uh, what have you been up to really just the start of school the school year man uh commerce the place where i work started we were the first high school to start back in the state of georgia um we got like actually reported on the like atlanta news just because we start so early so everybody else is like kind of getting into the swing of things and this is i'm coming up to my third week of school which is that's you know a bit much advantages and disadvantages i guess um how have you been going uh uh, how have i been going yeah how you been doing i mean i've been been good like i said i've just been super tired (laughs) the summer has been uh books and books and books and gearing up for a book sale big used book sale and we got a dog because that was a thing we decided to do and our dog is perfect but uh having a dog is like having a baby and uh, we're just doing that constantly so there will be plenty of very cute georgia pictures of my dog pepper pots pepper pots the dog spice pup uh, and so everyone can look forward to that because that's definitely happening. We've already got her gear, like her Georgia uh, gear, band- yeah, her Georgia gear, like her bandana and her leash and things. And so that's appropriate. It's, it's appropriate. It's time. It's time. Good. She's an official dog. The, uh, yeah, the first official dog of Chapel Bell Curve. I I feel like that we have, you know, to some extent, we've less we've left our listening audience in the dark um, in terms of our plans and our hibernation and when we were gone. So I will just say, you know, full disclosure that we probably could have gotten another episode in, but we decided not to, uh, in the last, like about month and a half for a couple of reasons. One is that we both had job stuff and work stuff. And I have a lot of commitments over the summer, despite the fact that I teach and, uh, Justin is almost about to die at any given moment working at books for kids. Um, (laughs) And two, uh, because we've been sort of working on some different projects that you're going to be seeing coming up soon. So just before we get started here, do you want to go over a brief schedule of what people can expect in the next couple of weeks? Yep. So this episode is going to be more of a primer for folks. So if this is, for instance, uh, your first foray back into the world of college football, or if this, for whatever reason, is the only place you get your college football and or UGA football news, then this is going to be more of an easing into the world. So you'll hear us talk a lot about who to see and who to watch and what to watch out for and the changes that have been made to the college football world and the college football stats world because there have been some pretty notable changes in how things are being distributed and used uh, as far as like stats and and statistics go. So this will be a sort of primer. And then following this one, folks are going to see a 
full season preview for UGA. So you can expect that in the next few days. And um, following that, you'll get to see here some of the things we've been working on over the summer, like narrative episodes and different interviews we've done. And then it'll be time for the Vanderbilt preview. And then we'll get back into routine with our preview and post shows episode, for yeah. all the games. Yep. And you get to see all of that good happy stuff so we're, we're hitting the ground running uh, yeah. as we tend to do speaking of stats and things that have changed bill Connolly, our stats god the man who inspired this podcast and kind of where we got all of our numbers from he has moved from sb nation and he is now working for espn yeah so what does that mean for us kind of remains to be seen to some extent we know that snp plus is going to be remain and continue to happen not behind a paywall that is what we've confirmed yes um, it seems like he's sort of hedged a little bit in terms of whether or not his actual game by game advanced uh, advanced statistical box scores will come back out so we have been looking into some alternative stats uh, sources and some other places to get resources so you can be assured that we're not going to stop making this just because bill Connolly moved um that was always going to be a thing i think because he was just really talented and someone big was always going to come and get him so i would not be worried in terms of the future of this podcast although we may be you know changing things here and there a little bit uh, I think one of our goals for the season is going to try to to diversify our sources uh, to some extent, just because we don't ever want to be too reliant on one source, both from a rigor standpoint in the sense that, you know, it's not good to only get your data from one place. And mm-hmm. in the sense that it seems like the media landscape, especially in sports, has become more and more mutable as things go on. So it's probably just practically not a good idea to be so as reliant as we were so i think we have some pretty good sources lined up and i think that we can do a decent approximation of what we've done coming into this point but i also think that you know we're going into our third year and we both probably have a little bit better feel for how to interpret stats and how to say things that seem cogent about them so yeah i'm not too concerned about it you may hear some of the terminology change you may hear uh you know some different people on here talking about different stats but i think you can pretty much expect that our our core competency our core philosophy on how we think about sports and life and everything is not going to change so really the the data that you input into that heuristic is really i mean it's not meaningless but it's we're going to be doing the same types of thinking and using the same logical structures that we have in the past so if that's what you're here for, and I don't know why you would listen to this podcast, if you weren't, then don't worry. You're still going to yep. get that. Unless Same you... freezing cold takes. Yeah. Unless, well, okay. First off, my, my, take, <laughs> my takes are, are, are hot, like, hot like melted butter. You have no idea. Just, just silky They're smooth. Dylon hot. Ready, ready to burn <laughs> you at any time. But yeah, I, I wouldn't worry about you know whether or not you're going to continue to get this the sort of thought processes that you've gotten and certainly all of the ranting had nothing to do with bill Connolly, so that's definitely still going to be here mm-hmm. uh, i would just be, you know be prepared to hear some different terminology yeah that's it so yeah just just be loosey-goosey it's like jazz baby yeah this it's is the jazz of, of stats it's about, it's about the it's about the notes you don't play more than the notes you play <laughs> so we're probably just going to be playing that all the note notes? a little bit less okay. uh, these days I like it. So let's uh, let's talk about what to expect for this episode. So we're going to do some off-field news, and then we'll get into on-field news, which is probably what most people come here for. But, you know, to better understand what's going on the field and why it's happening, we have to at least look at off-the-field news. So things that are in the media currently are things like, uh, you know, there were a lot of really interesting things that happened over the summer, like a lot of disciplinary issues. There were also some fellas 
They were pretty important to the scheme of things that just left in a couple of different guys, J.J. Holloman and Brenton Cox. So J.J. Holloman being one of our premier wide receivers and one of those guys you heard a lot from and whose mother we're very fond of. What happened with J.J. Holloman, Nathan? I feel like you have some pretty... I mean, he was... He was, dismiss- he was dismissed from the team for a report of domestic assault uh, that came from the day of the 2000, I think, 18 G-Day game. Uh, the report was filed shortly after the 2019 G-Day game because of the statute of limitations. He apparently, you know, physically assaulted his girlfriend. I mean, obviously, I think that if you listen to anything, and if you listen to this podcast at all, you know that our general take is that uh, if you commit domestic abuse, you shouldn't be on the team and yes. maybe you should be in jail. So I was a little frustrated by some of the takes where they were like, well, let's just hope the best for him. And it's like, well, actually, let's hope the best for the woman that he choked, you know, and then we'll talk about him. I mean, I've got no particular opinion one way or the other because I've never met JJ Hallman, so I don't really know him, but I, I feel like there was a little bit of like hagiopathy going on where it was like, Oh, well he made one bad, you know, one big mistake and he's a good kid and we like him. And it's like, that's the kind of language that we used when we didn't convict the Stanford swimmer of rape. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I I mean, and I I don't have it out for JJ Holloman. I mean, he might be a good guy who just got in a bad situation or whatever, but at the end of the day, in the current climate of football, there, you know, there was nothing to do other than, yeah, you know, with the Zach Smith stuff in the news and with, you know, everybody's still thinking about Baylor. I think that the Baylor, the sort of Baylor fiasco and what happened to Baylor with all those sexual assault cases is way more on the minds of coaches than we think it is because they think it's tied to their job. But even like, and, and, you know, I use these practical explanations for why he's off the team, but ultimately, like, it was the right moral decision, mm-hmm. right? And, and if that makes us slightly less good or slightly less likely to win the national championship i'm like fine with that i don't really as a rule approve of sort of moral sanctimony and i don't think that uga is better than anybody else morally but i do think that you have to give uh kirby smart props for dismissing him so quickly even if he wasn't doing it for the right reasons you know what i mean even if he was being shamed into doing what he should have done in the first place he still did it so yeah, I, I can't say do anything but applaud it. Um, you know, I mean, certainly it is a blow. It's a blow to the football team. We now have like 12 returning catches or whatever. He was definitely our leading returning receiver. Receiving yards returning does have a pretty big impact on uh, offensive production from one it year does. to the next. I have some thoughts on that that I think we should probably save for our full preview. But I, I'm not. We can talk more about it on the on-field news, too. Yeah, yeah, we, we can get into this more. I mean, and as for Brenton Cox, like. My understanding of the situation is that he just was a, he had some complaints about playing time and about, you know, his position on the roster. And I can't say, and this is not me reporting or having inside any inside knowledge, but my understanding is that he had complaints about the roster. And when he said, well, I'm, you know, I'd like to pursue a transfer that he was sort of not encouraged to not to. Now, I don't know why that is. I don't know if it's a personality thing or if it's a grades thing or whatever, but for a coaching staff to if not give up on a five star then not really chase him uh it's pretty telling to me you don't want to lose a talent like britain cox but a that's a position that you tend to be stacked at and b i think that people don't understand how often that 
personality can play such a big role in the team. When we say people throw around the term locker room guy to the point where it's become kind of a meaningless plot it that like stats people hate saying someone is a good locker room guy. What you're actually saying is that they're just like a fun person to be around and not a total. I don't know what the situation with Britton Cox is. I don't know that he is a jerk or anything, but I do know that there's a reason that he was not pursued. Right. Yeah, exactly. I would suspect that that it has to do with a combination of, you know, academic issues, if not him having actual problems with classes, then him having them having to really fight him to get to do what he needs to do academically and or just being sort of a a poor fit in terms of personality. I mean, I know D'Angelo Gibbs is another guy who transferred. This was much earlier in the year, and we've already talked about this briefly, but that was to me a similar situation. Very talented guy, but was not really pursued on his way out the door. You have to just kind of be aware that there's a reason that those things happen. And it's not like Kirby Smart doesn't know that he's good. Yeah. And in those situations, you can imagine, like, imagine just because a player has a lot of potential and they're a really great talent, the coaching staff spends all their time trying to pursue these guys as they're on their way out the door and they already want to leave, that 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 does wear on the guys that end up staying. You know, they they Mm -hmm. see that kind of attitude. They see that sort of thing. And if you do end up letting those guys stay at that point, then that further wears on the guys that ended up staying and stayed loyal and wanted to be there and yeah. really put in the time and effort to to be part of the team. So I think it's yeah. the right decision to make, just like you said. Yeah, I mean, and and I'm not going to pretend that we, we get better. I mean, I don't think it's addition by subtraction on the field, but no. I do think that you recruit the way that Georgia's recruited so that you can do things like this. I mean, yeah. I, I, I can even say, like, from personal experience with working with bands not not with red coats or anything but with high school bands you know one of the goals of most band directors is to get the program big enough that you can turn people away if you are at a school with like 30 people in the band and your you know best trumpet player is a total tool you're never going to do anything about it because you want to keep your job you know and or at least you would be sort of stupid to honestly I think the goal in any program building is to create depth and create a sort of well of talent such that you don't have to sacrifice your standards and expectations in terms of behavior for how people, you know, how talented they are. And I think that UGA is certainly at that spot right now. And I'm not saying we could afford to lose anybody. I mean, certainly if we have an injury to Jake Fromm, knock on wood, it would be pretty devastating. But there are a lot of positions on this team, in particular on the you know, defensive edge in the secondary and on the offensive line where, yeah, you can kind of afford to say to people, yeah, I know you're a former five-star, but you're not playing because of X, Y, and Z, and you're kind of being a jerk about it. So if you want to leave, leave. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think he transferred to Florida, which I think is just like a calamity of errors. <laughs> it's, it's so funny. Yeah. It's, it's so freaking funny. I, Ryan asked a question about this, but I just, I'll go ahead and address what I think about Brendan Cox going to Florida, which is that... I think since the beginning of the offseason, Florida has lost like eight or nine players to disciplinary issues and or, you know, just getting arrested or sexual assaults or whatever. So I'm assuming that Britton Cox just thinks that he can kind of slip in there under the radar, only having been popped once for drug possession, which, you know, honestly, let's all admit is not that big a deal. Whatever his behavior issues are will seem pretty normal compared to what's going on in Gainesville. To be clear, a school where they lost their highest ranked 2018 commit because they refused to make him not the roommate of a guy who had domestically assaulted his girlfriend. That is, that is a hundred percent a true story. Oof. Yeah. Oof. If you, I mean, and I feel like that flew so under the radar. And I, I think one of the interesting things about 
you know, frankly, the fact that UGA just has a really awful fan base in terms of how we are perceived by the public, and that's probably an earned reputation. We, I think, get a lot more tut-tutting and sort of like, what's going on at Georgia from the media than a lot of other groups do. But if you can just imagine like, okay, so imagine if this year coming in like Trevon Walker or one of the big five stars, Jermaine Johnson, imagine if Nolan Smith Mm -hmm. left the team because we made him the roommate of Trayvon Walker and Trayvon Walker had assaulted his girlfriend and Nolan Smith didn't want to be friends with him and we refused to move him. And so he quit the team and then we had to kick Trayvon off the team. Now, obviously Trayvon Walker is a sweet human being who would never do that. I'm sure. I'm just saying if you can kind of like put yourself in that headspace and imagine what the coverage would be like from like, Oh, Tony Barnhart, like Mr. Conventional wisdom Mm -hmm. uh, per Blutarski and some of the guys over at the AJC. I mean, it would just, I mean, A, it would be rightfully like, hey, this is a stupid situation. And B, it would be incredibly like kind of clothed in like the righteous, self-conscious language of the way that everyone covers UGA. So it's very frustrating to me. Not everyone, but a lot of people. It's very frustrating to me that Dan Mullen has, if not gotten a free pass, then at least like, like where are the people saying, has Dan Mullen lost control of the Florida program? (laughs) I don't know. It's just, it's frustrating. A couple more things off field. I mean, we've already had an episode that we talked about the new coaching staff. We have a pretty extensive list of new folks uh, with our coaching staff. But real quick, names you'll be hearing a lot this year are offensive and defensive coordinators uh, in James Coley and Dan Lanning. Do you have some info on these fellas and what to expect from these guys and what you're hoping to see out of these guys before we get into actual player details? Um, yeah, I mean, so Lanning, they're both they're both question marks, right? I don't think Lanning's ever been a uh, coordinator before. He has a pretty extensive track record. He was at Memphis before he came to UGA. A relatively new addition to the team. You know, I think this is you know, he coming into his third year on the coaching staff. Um, whenever you can promote from within, that's great. But it's not like we were promoting like an eight-year guy. My understanding is that him and Glenn Schumann were sort of like maybe going to be co-coordinators. But Glenn Schumann does so much work on the you know day in and day out planning and uh, game planning that maybe he didn't need to be a co- uh, co-coordinator because he didn't really need to call the plays because he has such a hand in it anyway. Lanning, I think, is a guy who is just a up-and-coming name that you were either going to make your defensive coordinator and he or he was going to leave. That, that's my read on it. I mean, everything I've heard about him is that he's a great coach. And, I, you know, we'll see. He's never called plays. But in the context of who he's got around him and the system and the talent and just having Kirby Smart above him, I don't feel like it'll be that big of a drop off. I feel like we're going to get better in some areas this year and worse in others. And so I think we'll just sort of our defensive profile, our, our radar chart will change a little bit. But I don't really think day in and day out that it's going to change a lot not to say that mel tucker wasn't an excellent coach because he was but at the same time i think that having kirby smart as your head coach means that the impact of you know down to down play calling on the defensive side is somewhat lessened as opposed to the offensive side as for as for coley i mean was a moderately successful offensive coordinator at Miami. He mm-hmm. threw more than Cheney did last year. He threw like 40, 50% of the time, which is far more than Cheney. So I think we'll, we'll throw it a little bit more. I think we'll be closer to balance because one of the things that kind of flies under the radar is the fact that like UGA was not even close to balance run pass last year. No, it was, it was like 60% run or something ridiculous. Um, like basically other than Georgia Tech and the academies and then a couple of like lower G5 schools, UGA ran more than anybody else last year. So I think we'll see more throwing. Um, I think the core of the team is going to remain the same. And mm-hmm. 
I get frustrated by the sort of like, we're going to impose our will philosophy because I feel like it's a little bit outdated. I think you, with the talent that you have, you can do whatever you want. You can spread it out. You can do the Alabama thing. But I will agree that it kind of makes sense to impose your will this year because I think UGA will conservatively have a top five offensive line in the nation. I yes. think I think the average, if you put this much talent in the same room, I think the average result is like a top three offensive line in the nation. And if people say stay healthy, I think this could be unequivocally the best offensive line in the nation. So I think that it just makes sense. Like you want to pound the ball because you just have, you know, 15, four and five star offensive linemen on the roster and you've got dudes who are five stars who are not going to start this year which i think is wild (laughs) yeah yeah Cade mays is fighting for a spot and he was a five star right you know um there are just a lot of guys who when we got them everybody was like oh my god tackle of the future guard of the future and now it's just like well maybe they'll start or whatever Mm -hmm. you know maybe owen condon will get a little playing time maybe ben cleveland like ben cleveland who when he was first recruited was sort of like I, I think he got as much hype as Eason did just because he was the highest rated offensive line recruit that we'd gotten in a long time. He might not start this year. It just sort of makes sense to run the crap out of the ball. We'll see what happens. Yeah, there's a lot of there's, there's a lot of positions like that on the, on the uh, team this year. I think you're going to see changes. I think that Dan Lanning, I, one, of the, one of my few frustrations with Mel Tucker is that I think, you know, you, you're going to play base like 40, 50% of the time and that's fine. But I, I am frustrated with, this sort of lack, I don't want to say creativity because we did some really interesting blitzing and stunning stuff, but I think we have so much, we have so much talent, so much speed on this team. The lack of havoc in the defense is a little bit concerning. And, you know, I know some of that is just that we didn't have the defensive front last year that we do now, but I also think that part of that is an unwillingness sometimes to do anything but play it safe. Now, I think that there's a reason that that makes sense. Last year, you have a lot, you have a very good wide receiving core. You have excellent running backs, which is also true this year. But I think the difference between us being a very good and 11 and one team that goes to the SEC championship and us being a team that wins the SEC championship and goes to the college football playoff or loses and goes or whatever is probably, can we get havoc out of the defense? I think that we have so much talent on offense that despite the depleted wide receiver core that we'll be able to lean on running backs and, you know, kind of open some stuff up for uh, what is, I will say an inexperienced, but very, very, very talented group of wide receivers. So I think really what it comes down to is, can you turn what has been, I think traditionally in the past few years, sort of a bend don't break defense into an, an elite defense. Can you turn this defense that's been very good into a defense that people don't want to play because of its, not just physicality, which I think is, you know, our defense has been physical for a while, but our, you know, ability to disrupt at all levels. And so we'll see. Um, I'm interested to see if Lanning, what his blitz tendencies are, how creative he gets, how sort of like, and this is a horrible term, but multiple he gets. Do we have people standing up around the line of scrimmage? Do we have, you know, defensive linemen dropping back into coverage on fire blitzes? Do we have all sorts of just little wrinkles that you can throw at people? to try to create those havoc plays. So we'll see. Yeah. One thing I will add about James Coley, I, I think that we had an incredible uh, offense last year, an incredible defense, an incredible team all around. But one of the most glaring issues was our performance within the in the red zone, specifically within the 10-yard the line. Yeah. I, I believe that we were around the 110th in uh, 
in the in the ten yard line. So if James Coley can can get just a little bit more innovative, a little bit more creative, which he's already shown that that's what he kind of kind of does already. That's the kind of coach he's going to be. Then I think that uh, sky's the limit, my friend. Your work's cut out for you. <laughs> You're going to be just fine. I am excited to watch James Coley. I, I'm I I mean I'm just interested to see because a lot of what happens on the field comes uh, well a lot of what happens play calling wise comes is dictated by the head coach and so i know a lot of what coley or cheney did was dictated by kirby but and i think this has kind of been like a weird like backlashing narrative where originally the narrative was and i think the accurate narrative is that cheney didn't get fired but also cole uh, cheney and kirby really were at odds with each other at times this season in particular like you were talking about when we had like seven seven plays from inside the one and we didn't score um so now it feels like that, you know, people, people keep saying that like Cheney got coat or got Cheney got poached and like, I don't know how accurate that is. So I'm not, I'm not saying that he's not good. I'm just saying, I don't know how hard he was pursued. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know that there was not some kind of personality conflict between Cheney and, and Kirby or, you know, if Kirby was, if not going to fire him, then at least ask him to make some big changes this year. So I would not be too quick were I a Tennessee fan to be like, oh, we poached Georgia's OC or whatever, or to interpret that that means anything about performance going forward. So you want to talk about some players? Yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. So on-field news, pretty exciting. This past weekend, we actually had our very first scrimmage inside Sanford Stadium. And so lots of donors went. I know the media wasn't allowed to go, but they've been talking to as many folks as they possibly could. Uh, but a, a lot of good things came out of this uh, and a lot of issues as well. Uh, I know that per Kirby Smart's press conference, he was talking about how he was less than excited and less than enthused by the ones on both sides of the ball. But he was very excited by all the twos and they're looking very talented, very quick. They're all uh, learning together very well. But but the b- big issues came from especially the first team offense, he said. Do you have any uh, pieces that you want to kind of throw in there and comment on what you've seen and heard so far well um have uh, let me send you a link have you seen i want you to re- react in live time have you seen this catch from freaking george pickens oh yes oh yes, it's yes. and it's ri- all anyone's it's talking ridiculous. about <laughs> it's freaking ridiculous one-handed catch be- between two defenders thrown on a dime from stetson bennett too actually oh, yeah. um stetson bennett another big name from from the the, the scrimmage as well he's doing very very well yeah, I mean, I, I think George Pickens, his catch radius is ridiculous. He doesn't have top, top end speed. He's very exciting. He's very exciting because we need someone to step up there. And, you know, we haven't really had a five-star wide receiver in this program, like a bona fide, uh, you know, no doubter since AJ Green. And I'm not saying that George Pickens is AJ Green. He doesn't have that top end speed, but he is a big dude who can run, has a great catch radius, has great hands. So I, I'm very excited to see that almost at the expense of all the bad news because traditionally um, wide receiver is not a position where freshmen play well. Mm-hmm. And if we can get, if we can get him to play well and at this level, I think we're going to be a very, very scary offense. Um, I think we're a pretty scary offense either way. That was uh, speaking. So that's a great transition into wide receivers. Uh, one of the big headlines I've been seeing a lot is who's Jake from throwing to. And one of the answers is uh, definitely freshman. He's uh, he's got Dominic, Blaylock and George Pickens, uh, they're, they're both freshmen there. I'm very excited about. Then we lost uh, a big wide receiver um, commit over the summer, but then picked up Dominic Blaylock like in the same day, I think. And they're both super exciting, super, super exciting. I mean, I think 
you know, it's you can't f- forget about Demetrius Robertson. Robertson, you can't forget about Tyler Simmons. I think is going to be a really big name for us. Um, I think the current those two are definitely current starters. I think Demetrius Robertson is starting in the slot and Tyler Simmons is the X and I cannot remember who's starting at the Z. I think Matt Landers maybe. I'd say they're Matt Landers or Lawrence Cager probably. Yeah, Lawrence Cager I think was starting too. Um I you know, I don't I think it's a big deal and I don't know that we're necessarily going to have an explosive pass game this year despite how much talent we have because of the inexperience, but I think that this is one of those sort of like Alabama style problems where Alabama every year just gets the benefit of the doubt for throwing enough talent at a problem to make it go away. Mm-hmm. And I know that, you know, UGA doesn't get the benefit of the doubt for that for good reason, because we haven't won a national championship. But I do think that's kind of like a false, it's a fallacious reasoning because to some extent, really what determines whether or not you can do that is how much talent you have, not whether or not you've won. So if you look at the blue chip ratio published by, they just republished it. The banner society people did, you know, the artist formerly known as every day should be Saturday. But if you look at uh, their blue chip ratio, Currently, they have Ohio State at 81% blue chips, Alabama at 80% blue chips, and Georgia at 79% blue chip. Uh, however, Georgia's blue chip rating when you add decimals is something like 79.4 or 44 or something. Mm-hmm. It's like 0.01 away from rounding up to 80. I don't know that we shouldn't be getting it at the benefit of the doubt for stuff like this because, I mean – a lot of what goes into whether or not you win a national championship is, you know, on-field coaching and luck and talent development and, you know, talent mass, but you can have an individual aspect of that already pretty locked up before you win the before you win the national championship, if that makes sense. I don't know why people would extend the benefit of the doubt to say Alabama's offensive line or defensive line and not extend the benefit of the doubt to UGA. Well, because they're stupid. I, I do know why. But <laughs> I, I, I'm not saying it's not going to be an issue, and I'm not saying that our wide receivers are going to be as productive as they were last year because I don't think they will be. But I also think that the talent in the room is such that you're going to get a competent wide receiving core, and with as much talent as you have at the rest of the skill positions on offense and on the line, it's kind of hard not to have a good offense when you have that. I mean, the fact of the matter is, and this is sort of a silly anecdote, but I think it's still kind of important to remember. Jake Fromm has run two five-star quarterbacks off of this team. Like, full stop. Jake Fromm played well enough that he did not give up the game. He did not give up the, the job to two five-star quarterbacks. Right? And so, I, it's hard for me to bet against him at this point. It's, it's, it's really weird. Pe- people are saying, you know, I think right now, S&P Plus has Florida at like a 65, or has Florida at like a 40% win probability against Georgia this year. Yep. And, pe- and a lot of people are predicting that upset because of Felipe Frank's development. Which is weird because to think that that would give Florida the advantage is to is to like you know also think that Jake Fromm will improve or mature. Yeah, as that Jake Fromm is just some sort of like constant in the universe or like gravity or something that'll never yeah. change. So I, I don't know. I th- I just think it's kind of silly. Um, yeah, and to think that that Felipe Franks is like the, the the number one piece of Florida actually going to to win now. Like in recent memory, and just looking like. Just from like a cursory search of my own memory, Felipe Franks has only really performed well in four games over his career in college. And those are the last four games of last season uh, where he threw, I think, like a 65% completion rate. And I, I know that's not all Felipe Franks' fault, but hedge all your bets on the performance of that one player who has shown promise in four games of the last two years 
is a is a pretty bold bold statement i feel um and so we'll we'll see florida i mean dan mullen keeps talking a real big game and keeps trying to shoot a shot on twitter yeah i i don't, I don't know it's hard for me to imagine are they going to get 21 points are are we going to get worse and they going to get better to an extent that changes the 21 point gap i have a hard time believing it but you know whatever i don't believe that no one one really uh, interesting piece uh, while we're still talking about receivers and everything is you have to go down the receiving stats. Like if we're looking at the the most targeted and um, uh, those that, that caught the most passes over last year, you have to go down eight spots before you get to the first returning receiver, which is upsetting. And, and that is unless you're counting DeAndre Swift and Charlie Werner because we have Riley Ridley, McCole Hardman, Isaac Nauda. Jeremiah Holloman, Terry Godwin, and then DeAndre Swift, Charlie Werner, and Tyler Simmons, who Tyler Simmons is in that eighth slot and is the only of those that is a wide receiver at all. So, Mm -hmm. uh, lots of room to improve, lots of stuff going on. Um, We mentioned a few names. So, who, let me see real quick, actually. In that wide receiver slot, the core that we're looking at, we, we have a few names that we'll be mentioning a lot more of, but Dominic Blaylock, George Pickens, Matt Landers, Lawrence Cager, Kiaris Jackson, Lee Erdman. Those are all four guys that have been around um, already. Demetrius Robertson, Tyler Simmons are probably going to be leading this. Um, maybe this will be Demetrius Robertson's um, breakout year. <laughs> he's had a couple yeah. years to figure things out. Yeah, I mean, he's apparently gained some weight and has become more committed to, you know, just in general, more committed to blocking, which was sort of the problem when he first came here. I think he's going to be a real weapon. I think... Matt Landers, I think Lawrence Cager will be names that you'll hear a lot. I actually think Eli Wolf, who is a tight end transfer from Tennessee, might actually get. I don't think he's going to pass uh, Warder for the, st- the sparty, little starting spot at uh, tight end, but I do think that he is, you know, well within. I, I think that he will get some looks here. But I think we're kind of getting we're getting kind of into our uh, fresh our, our season preview a little bit too much. But is there? Anything else you want to talk about on field before we move on? Uh, let's talk about our secondary just a little bit about what's going on up there because I know that we 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 really you you touched on it very briefly and we'll talk a lot more in it in our season preview. But one of the biggest uh, components of S and P Plus in determining how a team performs going forward is their returning players. So we have I think eight of nine players returning as far as our our backs go. Um, notable names that let left, of course, D'Angelo Gibbs and DeAndre Baker, but we have everyone else like Tyson Campbell, Eric Stokes, um, Cyrix Stevenson. We have a Juco transfer and DJ Daniel who looks really, really good. You've got Lewis Sign who looks good at safety. You've got uh, JR coming JR back Reed, at safety. Yep. You've got L- Richard LeCount who might actually get passed by a, uh, an upcoming sophomore in Lewis Sign or no, uh, what, a l- early enrollee freshman. I really think that weirdly, even though you lose, you know, one of the better players in past memory at the position and cornerback, I think our I think our our secondary might actually get better this year. Um, you can't really replace DeAndre Baker for how good he was, but I do think that you can get better production out of the safeties this year just by having more pressure on Richard LeCount. Richard yeah. LeCount's a preternaturally talented guy, but he just had a hard time wrapping up, particularly in like swing throws and you know plays in the flat and in the run game. And I just think if he's going to get pushed by a bigger, sure tackling younger player, that he's either going to have to step up or he's going to get passed. And combine that with the fact that apparently Eric Stokes, who was very good before he his season was shortened by injury last year, 
Um, his looks very good this year. I I feel pretty good about it actually. The the defensive backfield, I feel actually very good about. I am very I very think, excited. I think it's top to bottom more talented than last year. You know, you're losing your star or whatever, but I think in terms of just we we're talking earlier about just like throwing stars at a problem, throwing talent at a problem. This is another position where UGA is in a situation where we can kind of just be like, well, one of these four or five stars will figure it out. And statistically speaking, even though each one of them development wise is a lottery ticket, when you have 15 lottery tickets, you're more likely to hit. Yeah. Especially if it's like a, if, especially if it's like a one out of, you know, 50 chance as opposed to like a one out of a million chance. Mm-hmm. Uh, last thing we'll, we'll talk about as far as details on players goes, uh, without getting too far into our season preview is just our running back core. And, um, it, it's, it's silly again, of course, cause we have from top to bottom, we have Deandre Swift, Brian Harrion, James Cook, uh, Zamir White, hopefully will be playing mm-hmm. and, uh, a new freshman, Kenny McIntosh are our five, uh, running backs that'll be playing and have been getting most of the reps right now. So, um, I was reading that a lot of the decision Elijah Holyfield had to make in leaving early and eventually not getting drafted, but now going to the Panthers was because of Zamir White. And people cannot stop talking about Zamir White. Uh, the two people I feel like most talked about right this moment are Zamir White and George Pickens because of his his crazy one-handed catch. But I'm excited to finally see more of Zamir White and more of what he's actually going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, Same. Is there anything that you've been hearing about him specifically? Well, I mean... I've heard that he's, you know, he's cleared for contact. He's running again. He's getting tackled to the ground. I've heard that maybe he is not as explosive as he was yet, but that, I mean, the fact that he's getting tackled to the ground is really, really impressive. Also, there was just like literally as we started, uh, as we started doing this podcast, there was a published post from yesterday's scrimmage on UJ's official football account, which in which an unidentified Zamir White runs like a, like they're doing like sort of an Oklahoma like goal line defense drill and um, Zamir White just lights up Monty Rice and carries him across the goal line. So if he's already got that kind of power back, if his step gets to where it needs to be, um, he I mean, there's a reason that he was, you know, a consistent top two running back when he came out. Uh, and so that having that, that is really just like gravy. Like <laughs> it's really funny, like how. This is something we talked about when we did one of our interviews this year, how it's hard it's hard to gauge the impact of players on this team sometimes because the team is so good that you might be talking about a difference between 11 and 12 wins. You know what I mean? I think ha- adding a five-star to this team as though, like, you know, because if Zamir White develops into what he was when he came out of high school, what you've, what you've functionally done is you've, like, added another five-star to this freshman class, right? Yeah. And if you have that, if you have another five-star running back in the backfield and you're just running this ridiculous three-headed monster or four-headed monster, you know, constantly, it's hard to imagine this team losing more than one game. Mm-hmm. Um, just because when you have a run game that is that unstoppable, it's just kind of hard to lose games. Yeah. So I, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm obviously incredibly excited about it. Yeah. It should be really fun. And we'll get more into them specifically in the season preview. Do you have any more specific player details you want to go over before we get into a couple questions that came through? No, no, no. I think I think we've. Uh, I'm I'm currently sitting at like 40 minutes, so I think we've given the people what they want. <laughs> All right, cool. So first question on hashtag AskCBC comes in from Bryce at Primordial Goo, um, and if you want to hear your question asked on the podcast, you can add us on Twitter. 
Chapel Bell Curve. Um, you can send us an email at chapelbellcurve at gmail.com with the, uh, on social media, hashtag AskCBC, so we'll actually see it. Or if you just wanted to get straight to us, just hit us through the email. But the first one comes from Bryce at Primordial Goo. It is, who is Jake from going to be throwing to? How do young and inexperienced wide receiver cores affect a team's success? And since we've answered the first half of that, why don't we get into the second more so? How do young and inexperienced wide receiver cores affect a team's success? So traditionally, everybody thinks that offensive line starts matter, which they do. But Bill Connolly's returning production stats actually say that the two most important positions are wide receiver and secondary. Um, so wide receiver does have an outsized impact. My theory on that is because wide receiver is a hard position to play at college. And most freshman wide receivers are like, if not bad, then not as good as they will be as sophomores. There's usually a pretty big jump. So I think it will have an impact, but I don't know if it will have an impact. I think that some of whatever deficiencies coming up in that section might be covered for by just having such a great offensive line. Like when you can run, when you can run four or five, four and five star um, running backs out behind a line of all five stars, it kind of makes it easier on your wide receiving core. Right when you when you know that Jake Fromm can hold the ball four or five seconds every time he snaps it on a run on a uh, pass play, it gives you more time to get open. So I think while it will have an impact, I think it might be the difference between like a top six offense and a top ten. And if the defense improves the way that I suspect that it will, then that probably shouldn't matter. Next question comes from Ryan Clark. Having to do with the Brendan Cox situation, he wants to know what your best trolling Florida response to Brendan Cox is, and do you have something to add in there? Like, what would you if you were to Tweet something about this. What is your hottest take you can make from Nathan Lawrence? I don't know. I mean, I think lol pretty much. (laughs) Just LOL. LOL, yeah. I mean, I like the whole take. I think Senator Blutarski had this one earlier about like, maybe he thinks he can just slip in and not be noticed. Like, just getting getting arrested once is not a big deal at Florida. Uh, Do you think it's hilarious that the only five star on their whole team had to leave us to get there? (laughs) I mean, obviously, yeah. And do you think that Dan Mullen, I'm sorry, Dan Mullen, uh, is going to make it four years? Uh, probably. He's a good coach. Now, I will say, if they continue to have this off-field issue and he doesn't start recruiting a little bit better, then no. But I think that he'll probably get a, get, get, he'll get a win against Georgia, which will buy him a year or two in the next few years. And he'll probably get some dumb win against a team that's not as good as everyone thinks it is, because that's what... Um, his Mississippi State teams did. So, yeah, I would say he probably is. Uh, next question comes from Jonathan Ashley. Who do you think should have won the DCI finals? God, okay. I don't want to get out over my skis because I know way more about... I mean, enough people that I like who march Blue Devils listen to this podcast that I'm going to say Blue Devils, and they did win. You know, it's really interesting because the top two shows are Blue Coats and Blue Devils, and they were very oppositional takes on how to design a show. I respect the hell out of the Blue Devils show because it's like really high concept. It's a very English major. It was called Ghost Light, and it was about like, I'm going to say the quickest summation would be like a haunted theater, but that's not really what it's about. It was just about like the magic of the stage as well. And so I thought that was really cool. Uh, but I also really liked the blue coats take, which was just like, we're going to play the Beatles, which is very, very big dick energy. If you're, <laughs> if we're being honest, like, like every band in the world has done a Beatles show. So yeah. there's something pretty swagadelic about saying like, it's hard to explain. It's like, if a, it's almost like if like a football team was like, we're only going to run inside power this year. 
and then came within like a play or two of winning the national championship. You'd have to respect that swagger at the oh, very yeah. least. You know what I mean? Um, but I think, I mean, the, there was a, the opening bit of the Blue Devil show where it's hard to explain, but there's just this thing they did with their color guard where they're all tossing like in sequence. And just like when they hit those catches, it was just ridiculous. So, and also like we're talking about, I think just a little bit less than a, than one one hundredth of a point between them. So I think you could make an argument either way. Those of you that are uninitiated, DCI is like is Jump Corps International. It's like professional marching band, uh, which is the, not the correct way to describe it. But for those that are uninitiated, that's enough for you to know what's going on. And also, like shout out to Turner Harkins and Ben Vasco, who are two Blue Devil alums, who are my very sweet friend boys, who are very happy right now. <laughs> very happy. I saw Ben Vasco got a picture with the trophy. Yeah. Did you see that? Yeah. yeah. The very last question comes from fan favorite, uh, fans being me and you. Uh, UJ Nihilist, at the end of the season, will I feel like life is void of anything meaningful and merely an exercise in random, cruel suffering like every season before? Well, I think you'd feel that way even if we won the national championship. So I'm going to go ahead and say yes. I would like yeah. to see what UJ Nihilist does if we do win a national championship. My challenge to UGA Nihilist if we win a national championship would be to join me in my sort of like 365-day crusade of justice. I don't need you... If we win a national championship, UGA Nihilist, I don't need you to be happy. I need you to like... I need you to get angry. They've talked so much shit for so long. Just, you got it. You, I mean, I want you to pour all of your nihilism powers into making everyone else feel bad. Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So this has been uh, Chop Bell Curve. This is our preseason show. Uh, not our preseason season review, just a preseason show. Just getting back into the swing of things, shaking off the cobwebs, talking to folks, giving the people what they want, saying goodbye to the dog days of summer. Uh, if you have questions for the next episode, make sure you send those to us on social media with the hashtag AskCBC or send them to our email at chapelbellcurve uh, at gmail.com. Um, also, follow us on social media and check out our Patreon ahead of the, the year. We're going to put some new goodies on Patreon, some things for Patreon subscribers exclusively, um, some things for fans to do, and some places for you to be at. We'll talk to details on that in the coming episodes as we put the, the polishing and the, the finishing touches on those sort of things, too. You got anything else for the people there, Nathan? No. It's great to, great to be back. We're so happy. If you have more Ask CBC questions, get them to us. Yeah, we want to answer them. We will see you around the Classic City, especially as students get back. Redcoats are returning. They're already back, I guess, because um, they're mm -hmm. at, at camp with you. Um, yeah. But yeah, catch us in the Classic City. And until then, go, go dogs. dogs.